Hey there, I'm Nanzea, and this is Market Scale Grow, a podcast created for ambitious teacherpreneurs looking to have a bigger impact on the world, achieve freedom, flexibility, and ultimately make more money. With weekly strategy sessions and inspiring stories from fellow teachers just like you, my goal here is to help you create a customized marketing strategy so you can grow your teacher business beyond your wildest dreams. Welcome to Market Scale Grow. I'm your host, Jenze, and today I am chatting with Melanie. She is a former teacher and a girl mom, a wife, and then a certified business manager and soon to be certified course and launch strategist. I didn't know that about you. (laughs) After leaving the classroom in 2022, Melanie has become passionate about taking her love for learning and educating others by helping courses and membership creators launch their programs. She also specializes in hiring freelancers for busy CEOs and streamlining systems in their business processes. She currently lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, two girls, and their dog and cat. And I am super excited to chat with you today, Melanie. So welcome to Market Scale Grow. Thank you. I am super excited to be here. Can you just start by telling everyone, I know I just read your like formal bio, but a little bit more of your story, what you were teaching before you left the classroom, and then how you got into launch strategy and the OBM piece of it. Yeah, of course. So I was a history teacher. I think maybe the bio said that, but I was a history teacher for 12 years. I taught mainly AP courses, so AP United States History and Human Geography, So I say that because I feel like that's where some of my like skill set comes in, in terms of launch and strategy planning. Because if you ever have taught, you know, high school or really honestly anything that has a state test, you know, you know what standards you need to hit and what the students need to know. So it kind of played into like backwards (laughs) planning which is mainly what I do for launches. But I started as kind of like a general virtual assistant in late 2020 mm-hmm. and dabbled as I feel like sometimes happens in things, customer support. I tried social media management. That definitely wasn't for me. It's actually why I think I started listening to your podcast back in a while ago because I was like, oh, marketing, your girl needs help in helping her <laughs> clients. Your podcast is great. It just it wasn't for me, um, the social media management aspect. And then one of my first clients had an online course, and I sort of stepped into her role as her project manager and got more and more comfortable with not only her course launches, but also her launches that had multiple affiliates. So that sort of led me to just wanting to solidify my skills a little bit more, which led me to becoming an online business manager through a certification program. It's not like I have my MBA or anything, but <laughs> it, uh, it definitely gave me some skills. And I guess you could say like a little bit more confidence to say, like, I actually theoretically know what I'm doing most of the time. This is so perfect that that's your, your story because I just, I'm outlining the other podcast episodes for March. And so mm-hmm. we'll have released an episode on niching down or oh, perfect. like the process of it. And one of the pathways that I talked about, because it's not my pathway, but one of the pathways that I talked about was starting as a generalist Mm. and kind of figuring it out what you like, what you don't like, what makes sense for you, what all of those different pieces. So it's so cool that that is your story. You started totally as a generalist, 
found some things that you liked, found some things that you didn't like, and went through that whole process of feeling it out and have now went into OBM, but then also are in the transition from there to something else that is like Mm -hmm. falling at your heart. So that's so cool. I love it. Yeah. And I still take on, because I do like the aspect of working on a team, like as a teacher for 12 years, I miss seeing people every day. And the department at my high school, it was great. And it was big. There was 20 of us in the history department. So I do like miss working on a team. So I still keep one or two retainer clients at any given time where I manage their remote teams and kind of oversee their entire business, which gives me that, I guess, the warm and fuzzies of like still actually working with people rather than, you know, one-off projects here and there. So I feel like I, it took almost two and a half years, but I feel like I finally found where I want to be with a balance of retainer clients and then launch projects. And if I don't feel like working that many hours in September, I'll just hang out with my retainer clients and, you know, not worry about picking up extra stuff. So it's, it's been nice so far. Yeah. I really like that. It sounds like you have a really good balance there. I try. It's not always, not always easy. I probably made it sound a little bit better than it was, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it also too, there's just this process of figuring out what works for you and for your family and the season you're in even, right? Like you're saying, I just took time off. Now it's a couple of months ago, but like December for the holidays and knowing that I could take a few less clients and just like you said, lean back on retainer clients is so great. And then same with like launching a course, you can choose when you're launching the course to fit those ebbs and flows of schedule as well. So one of the perks of online businesses. I agree. It definitely is. One of the biggest questions I get asked because I do help people with their courses and launching and the promotion is like the before. How do I know what to do while I'm creating the course and getting it set up, knowing if the course is going to go anywhere, right? Are people going to yeah. what I have to offer? And I think that that's something you have tons of insight on. So what are your thoughts about before, like what we should do before setting up a course? That's like the hardest part <laughs> because, and I feel like it's where people kind of, I don't want to say like make mistakes. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And I feel like a lot of course creators start in a similar way. Like they have this great idea for a course. People are going to love it and buy it. And I know how to teach it. So I'm just going to put it out there and people will buy it, which I mean, that's what everybody wants, but (laughs) it doesn't always happen that way. And I've actually started to see a couple recent clients, like actually one I just talked to this morning before before we talked. She's launched twice before and she's not happy at all. Like with the results, it went okay, but it definitely didn't perform to like the degree that she hoped it would. So we're looking at doing a couple things that you could do this before you even start to create your course, which is when you should do it, but a lot of people don't. Or if you've had a launch that you consider kind of like a flop, you can go back to the drawing board, so to speak. So the first thing that you kind of want to do is segment your audience as best as you can. So for example, for me, part of my audience are course creators who want to launch a course, but that's like kind of a wide net. It'd be like saying your audience is kindergarten through second grade teachers or even just kindergarten teachers. 
but then you have to like think more about it. So like, what do these kindergarten teachers want? Like, do they need help with literacy resources? Do they need help with math and teen number resources? So like for me, like people who want to launch a course, that's part of my audience, but I get different people, people who don't have a course idea or they have a very vague idea. I get people who have a full course created and it's converting and doing well, but they're sick of managing it because it's a lot and they don't want to do it themselves anymore. Or this sort of new group of people that I feel like are starting to find me are people who have launched a course previously by themselves and it didn't go well. So like the way that I'm going to speak in my marketing, emails, Instagram, whatever, to these different people is going to look very different, but they're all under the same umbrella of people who want to launch a course. Okay. I just want to pause for a second and remind you of my signature course. It's a hybrid group coaching program course called Dream List Essentials. We're going to be opening the door again shortly, and I want you to get on the waiting list. If building your email list full of dream clients is on your to-do list in 2023, then this is the course for you. We flesh out your marketing plan, come up with organic and collaboration strategies, plus there's an extensive portion of the course that is focused on Facebook and Instagram ads. So you can grow your list with ads behind the scene so that your business becomes more sustainable every single day. If you're interested in this, head to marketscalegrow.com forward slash dream list essentials to get all the details and to get on the waiting list right away. So I think sometimes, and I hate to use the term like niching down because you know we use that term all the time, but I think sometimes course creators haven't really they think they've niched down, but they haven't actually looked at the specifics of their audience mm-hmm. and what their audience needs. So if you can kind of break it down into your broad audience and then make it more specific into different segments and then kind of think about, well, what is each segment's problem and what's their goal? So people who don't have a course idea their problem is they don't have any idea what they're doing. (laughs) They don't know where to start. Their goal is probably to have a successful course launch. Mm -hmm. And they might, you know, be overwhelmed by all the tech, overwhelmed by creating the curriculum. They have different problems than maybe somebody who has a course that they've launched and they consider it like a failed launch. They might have all their email copy, all of their social media posts, their sales page. They might have all that set up. But their problem is like they don't know where it went wrong. So mm-hmm. very different problems, probably ultimately the same goal to have to have a successful course launch. But I say all that to say that I feel like that's where a lot of people kind of skip and they don't break down their audience into small enough segments and then really think about how they're going to speak to the problems that their particular segment of the audience has. And like for me, I just said, you know, people who don't have a course idea or people who have a failed course launch, they might have the same goal. And it's okay if your audience has the same goal, but you got to kind of think about problems that they're experiencing because those are probably different. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you support people with course launches one to one. I do. 
this is where I feel like I could use a little refinement myself. I support people one-to-one. Sometimes it's people that have absolutely no team and it's just kind of me and them. And we're sort of like splitting the work, so to say. Like a lot of times I found what intimidates people is the technology and, you know, making sure that everything's hooked up correctly through their email provider and, you know, whatever launch element they're going to do, whether it's a webinar or a challenge or something like that. I have also stepped into the role of managing a couple launches where they have, this is an easier one for me. They have full teams that have launched with them before, Mm -hmm. but they're sick of managing it. So they just get to like be the face and show up and smile and do their live thing. And I'm the one who's making sure that everything gets done behind the scenes. That's like a blend of your two things, that the the project manager and the launch Venn diagram happy spot. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That one, I don't want to say I enjoy it the most, but it's just, it's less pressure on me. You know what I mean? If they already Mm -hmm. have a copywriter on their team and they already have a social media manager on the team. And especially like if they've launched a couple of times before, that's just a little bit easier for me rather than trying to juggle all the pieces. But yeah, so I have one-to-one and then I also have aspects where I'm managing full teams because I've done both and I enjoy both. If you had a course versus one-to-one, I'm just wondering about the messaging piece there because it feels like if you're working one-to-one with people that you're one-to-one offer could vary a little bit more based on that person's specific needs, like if they have the team or not, and if they've launched before, if they haven't launched. Whereas if you have a course that's trying to help people solve that same problem, would you want to be segmenting your audience, like you talked about, into those potentially three groups, but then your course is only potentially only solving the one person's problem? Or would your messaging need to pull in different groups, like different segments? Does that question make Yeah, it does. It didn't at first, but it does now. (laughs) So I think it kind of, typical answer, but I think it kind of depends. There's some ways that you can bridge that gap with offering certain bonus aspects to your course. Like if you, if you choose to offer, which a lot of people do, like group coaching calls where people can come and ask their questions or office hours or, you know, a Facebook group or Kajabi's now even offering a community. I, I don't know if you, I haven't messed with it yet, but I do have one client still in Kajabi. Anyway, I haven't messed with <laughs> the community featuring Kajabi, but I saw it come through. I was like, wow. So it kind of depends because if their ultimate goal is the same, you might be able to kind of use the different pieces of the messaging Mm. with different segments problems to like appeal to more people. But if their goal is not the same, you might have to pick a, if you're in the beginning stages, like we talked about a bit ago, if you're in the beginning stages of trying to choose a course idea and kind of make sure it's going to do well, you might just need to pick one of the segments Mm-hmm. And create the course around around that because that's another kind of problem, I guess, that I've seen often on is courses trying to be all the things to all the people. And yeah, when you talk to you know everybody, you end up sort of accidentally talking to nobody or nobody's really sure, like, is this for me or is it for somebody else? Is this going to help? So The problem, I would say you can use like the problem language and the problems that different people are having and your audience could 
dictate your messaging. And if the goal's the same, you might be able to create a course to kind of address all of those people at once. But you also might not be. (laughs) It depends how similar their goals are. (laughs) The other thought that crossed my mind is it sounds like potentially the example you gave of people who have no idea what kind of course they want to run, people who have created their course and they haven't had success quite yet with it. And then people who have created their course and they've had success all have the exact same goal, but there are different points in the journey. And so you may potentially creating different offers that serve these different people at different levels, like some sort of freebie to help people decide what their course wants to be about. And then your actual course would be at supporting people to DIY their launch and then your one-to-one service to support people once they're ready to hand it off. If you wanted potentially to create like a product suite that goes and supports people at all the different levels, but you'd still need to segment your audience to like help slot them into what stage of the journey they're at. Yes. And that is where I like personally hope to get at some point. But talking about also just kind of the space that you and I are in a lot, teachers pay teachers, because I have had a couple of clients outside of the TPT space. And what you see is like a lot more DIY in the TPT space. One client that I have coming up in July, she's launched eight times, I think eight times. And she has basically done it herself every single time. So that's where it also comes into doing like some market research to Mm -hmm. get a feel of what your actual client wants. And it's tricky, right? Because, you know, people have different preferences. Some people are willing to just like pay the money, do it for me. What I've seen more often in the TPT space is that people want to DIY more than pay for one-to-one services, Mm -hmm. but not always. It just depends, you know, on the person. Definitely so many factors. How do you segment them? And then once you've segmented them, how do you figure out exactly what the problem is? And I think you kind of alluded to it when you said market research, the word that nobody likes, but let's go there. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We're on a a marketing podcast, aren't we? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So with market research, and this is actually one of the reasons why I chose to take the certification that I'm in right now about being a course and launch strategist, because I feel like this is something that's really missed. It was really missed in my OBM program. And again, like you just said, people are afraid of the words market research because it's scary and it's hard. But there's like a couple, of course, there's online surveys, right? That you can send to your email list. I feel oftentimes though, people don't end up doing those enough. Like they'll do it once and then never again, or maybe once a year. But especially like if we're talking about, you know, staying in in the teacher space and the teachers pay teacher space, teachers need different things in September than they do in April. The call I was just on this morning with, with the course, it didn't go like she wanted, we were talking. And I, you know, I said, when was the last time you sent any sort of market research survey to your list? She is a active Facebook group of over 4,000 people. And she had never, she, she did it before she created her first course in 2020 and then just never did it again. But 2020 was, oh, it was a different time, right? (laughs) Very different time. Yeah. So utilizing, if you have it, your email list to 
send out any sort of online survey, which there's some advantages to that, right? You can get a lot of people with not much effort on your part. I always recommend offering an incentive if you can to get people to fill out the survey. I would keep it to definitely less than 10 questions with a mix of like yes and no. And then also, you know, some maybe fill in the blank or some open-ended questions, but you don't want to give them 10 open-ended questions because people are busy. You can also look in Facebook groups that if you don't have your own personal, like a lot of people have free community Facebook groups. I mean, that's where I would go first because if you're asking someone else's audience, it's not going to be as good as asking your own audience. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you don't have your own, you certainly could, you know, if the Facebook rules allow for it, post in someone else's. If you're utilizing social media, those, what are they called? Those like yes ladders or those question ladders where Mm -hmm. it's like a series of Instagram or Facebook, I guess you could do stories. Just like the polls in. Yeah. 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 The polls in your stories. And then something, especially if we're talking about a, quote, failed course launch that I've noticed a couple of my clients haven't thought to do is ask your current students like, hey, why did you buy this? Mm. Like what pushed you over the edge? What's your favorite part of the course? What is your biggest takeaway? What made you decide that you needed this course? Like, was it something I said that you remember? And it depends, right, on how engaged your current students are or what kind of container you have for them. But if you can get kind of even like a a Zoom call where you can record it and then actually take their language, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's going to be super powerful in terms of, of market research. And then I would also recommend competitor research. If somebody else has a course idea, very, very similar to yours, that's actually, and it seems to be successful, that's like actually a really great thing. Because it means people need it, or there's a desire for it or a want for it. So not to copy somebody else's course, but if you can find any other people who have courses out that are similar to yours, take a look at, you know, what do they offer? What are they covering in their course? Do they have any live support? Do they have any bonuses? What's their price point? Because if you're creating a course on classroom management, and you want to charge $300, but there's seven other courses out there on classroom management that are all $97, you're going to have a hard time selling you know, your course, even if it's amazing, if it's four times as much. I didn't do that math right. I used to teach history. But, <laughs> but you know, you're going to have trouble selling that course if it's so much more expensive than everybody else's. Even if it includes a lot more things, people don't always see that right away. You'll have to work a lot harder on like showcasing the benefits and showcasing. And I found that this to be potentially more true in the teaching space, like you were saying before than outside, but I find that there can be a lot of price comparison. Well, I can get that for less. And so in this space, I feel like if you are going to price your course or your membership significantly more expensive than other people, then Sometimes it just comes down to price comparison, which is, in my opinion, not necessarily the best way to decide what you're going to buy, but just to be aware of that, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely not the best thing, but, you know, people aren't always going to read every single detail of everything to realize that even if your course has 
four times more that teachers might need that people aren't always going to to read that, unfortunately. So yeah, it's just something, especially I've found over the last couple of years in this space to definitely be like conscientious of just not being an outlier yeah. <laughs> by a lot on either way, like kind of keeping it tucked in. So yeah, so competitor analysis, I guess you could say, or research, whatever, is something that you should at least take a look at and kind of be aware of what other people are offering. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I like what you said too about it. It almost is a way to validate your idea because if somebody else has that course on classroom management, or if there's seven of them even, we know that this is something people are looking for or they wouldn't have courses. Whereas if you were doing something like how to catch a frog, there's no courses on how to catch a frog. I know somebody's going to email me with like, here's a course on how to catch a frog, Jenzel. That's 100% what's going to happen. But anyway, you can't find a single other one. You're like, potentially, you've just found this amazing niche and go wild. But also potentially there's no courses on how to catch a frog because nobody wants it, right? So there, there is that really nice thing about doing the competitor analysis is it, it helps to validate your idea if you don't necessarily have the audience built already or whatever else may be stopping you from collecting other pieces of data beforehand. For sure. And I mean, I think it goes against our nature as people though, right? Because you want to come up with something like new and innovative. But I mean, that's where you have to think about like, well, you're different. Like you as a person are different. You have different strengths and experiences and, you know, background to bring to the table. And somebody who jives with you might not jive with somebody else or the way that somebody else teaches. So I feel like I have also like really had to personally work on this, especially when I decided I wanted to shift into more of like launch management and strategy, like a ton of other people do it, but there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's a hard thing for course creators to get over because you want to be the first one to have a course on frog catching, right? X, Y, Z, (laughs) you know, to like be really, really successful, but it's, yeah, it's not a bad thing if somebody else already has a course on what you hope to create a course on. And on that like innovation piece, I actually did some of this competitor research when I first created my course and found that there were other ones. And then more recently I was looking and some of those people have created these really cool offers that like started as a course mm-hmm. and then through them working with students and finding different pieces, they've turned their ads course, like a DIY course into these cool group programs or mentorships or whatever, like that meets the needs of their students and meets the needs, like their particular specialty. And so I just thought that was really cool as a Facebook ads course that have transformed into these other pieces. And so it's possible that that innovation or that amazing idea could come from running your course, talking to your students and finding out what else they need or how you could better serve them. Definitely. I mean, and I think that's something really hard for people to get their heads around too. Like your course is not about you. It should be about like what your audience needs and wants or else it's not going to do well. Before I got into Facebook ads management, actually, the reason I started Facebook ads is because I was creating a course for math teachers. I didn't and, know that about you. Yeah. 
if if you could ever call something a flop, I would call it that. And there was a lot of reasons. And especially now that I support people with launches and I've gone through a couple of significantly more successful launches, I could get into all the reasons why it was a flop, but that's not important. I was trying to like force my course onto my audience. And I would love to hear what you feel or your thoughts about waiting for your audience to ask for it from you. Because now I I have people reaching out to me saying like, do you have a a done, like do it yourself, a DIY Facebook ads course? Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Now, I didn't wait until people were asking to make this course, but it was also very different than my math course where like nobody wanted it from me. And I was just like, here you go, shove it in your face. So like, is there a happy medium spot? Do you have an opinion of like, yes, people should be asking. No, you don't need to wait for that. Like, what are your thoughts on that? It's like that meme, you know, where it's like, nobody, nobody. And you're like, here's my course. <laughs> take it, take it, take it. That's a hundred percent. Like, yeah. I feel like it's so funny you brought that up because I feel like I'm a kind of struggling with that right now. Like personally in my own business, people have mm-hmm. started to ask me a lot of questions about hiring. I just have one of my launch clients who I don't work with on retainer, but like we've become friends. She hired a VA and the VA like ghosted her after six weeks and charged Mm -hmm. her eight hours pay and gave her like two Instagram posts that weren't good. So anyway, people have been asking me about, hey, are you ever going to like put out... Because I have like a little mini course on annual and quarterly planning. And people have started to ask like, well, when are you going to make one on hiring? Oh. And I don't want to be known for... (laughs) Like I know I, not. <laughs> I don't want to, but like more and more people keep, you know, asking me like questions about it. So anyway, to answer your question, I have a spreadsheet, an air table, just because I like pretty colors. You could easily do this on a Google sheet of questions that I have been asked for the last, I started it in summer. So questions that I've been asked since July. And I wish I would have started it sooner, but hey, it's never too late to start. And anytime like anyone replies to one of my emails or gives me feedback about one of my freebies or says something that is kind of like phrased as a question if I'm working with them, you know, one-on-one for launch support, I just have started to keep that for myself. And if you keep it long enough, you will start to see a trend like I have about what people want from you. So not necessarily do you have a course on, but just the Mm -mm. same questions and that's this is such a great tip. Oh my gosh, I love this. Just this the reoccurring yeah. themes that uh-huh. maybe won't come to you if you don't actually have this list in front of you. Yes. And so yeah, so I've just been I can't say I'm going to do anything with it, but this would be a tip that I would say for people who, you know, maybe are thinking of creating a course or people who have like I have very different, you know, funnels of my audience, right? And if like one of my retainer clients left me tomorrow, I would probably start advertising what it's like, or, you know, posting and talking about what it would be like to work with me on a retainer basis. But like my, my space has been full since August. So like, I don't really talk about that anymore because I'm not taking on any more retainer clients. So I'm saying this, like if you have multiple different funnels or facets of your business and you're thinking like, man, like maybe I'll make a course, but like, I don't really know what to do it about. I don't know what people want. Yeah, just start like noticing what people are asking you about. I like have my own personal Slack where I add, you know, my business Slack where I Mm -hmm. add launch clients and I have 
a channel where they can all generally like type questions that they think might help other people because they're all right now in the TPT space. And I'm looking, I have Slack open right now and I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions. All of them are about hiring. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't even pertain to launching. And I mean, I don't know, maybe that's because I'm providing such great support with launching. Maybe that's because there are not a lot of tips, I guess, on like how to hire a freelancer, especially in this space. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of TPT people want ex-teachers or people who are in the education space because they know the language and, you know, can relate to people in the classroom. So listen to your audience is my best tip and start to keep track. Basically, if nobody has asked you about a topic ever, probably don't make a course on it. Like I would wait until you at least see or get some people asking you something around the lines of a topic. Like nobody has ever asked me, how do you get started on TPT? Yeah. I could probably figure, I mean, I feel like I could theoretically make a course on it because I've managed people who've been on TPT for many years, but like nobody's ever asked me that. So like, I would not make a course about that. So let's just say you did, you were considering a pivot in your business or that there was a topic that really, really interested you and you wanted to consider making a course like this starting a TPT store. Similar. I've had a TPT store myself since 2013. Most of my clients have TPT stores. So I'm very aware of it. And I could probably help some of it. Again, same thing. Nobody's ever asked me, but let's just say I was like super passionate about it. I really wanted to get in there. How could I start generating some of that interest without shoving it down people's throats? For everybody out there, I am not at all considering this. This is a theoretical, hypothetical situation. I don't want to help. We've gone into theory. (laughs) We are talking hypotheticals. But like, let's just say I wanted to get started helping people create TPT stores. How do you go about that? So I would probably start... We're coming back to market research again. (laughs) I would probably start by creating some engagement type stories on your Instagram, Facebook, just to kind of like poke and test the waters. Okay. You could always use like those, the question box, the open-ended, what questions do you have about starting a TPT store or polls? Have you ever thought about starting your own TPT store? Yes, no, I already have one. So I would probably say to start to test the waters And then I feel like this is such a generic answer, but if nobody's responding in your audience to those questions, it takes a while to, I've never personally done this. So I'm also kind of speaking hypothetically at this point, it takes a while to kind of start to pivot your audience. So you might need to create some like long form content about it and just start talking about it more. I wouldn't just talk about it for like three days and give up. If this is something you really want to do, then I would start talking about it and I would give it a month or maybe even two months and see what kind of engagement you're getting with it. So, you know, throw it in as one, if if you were, again, hypothetically trying to do this, throw it in as one of your sort of pillars or stuff that you continuously talk about and see if people are engaging with the content. 
You know, are they replying to your stories? Are they answering your emails if you send it about your experience creating a TPT store? Like if you were hypothetically doing it and you wrote out your story of of how were you in Taiwan? I I remember. Yeah. Like if you wrote that story in your email list and then I don't know why I remembered that. No, I'm laughing because it's so the story is I was bored one day and decided to start a TPT store and sell the things I made because they had nothing at my school. <laughs> it's just to me, to me, it's such a boring story of like bored. You might have to embellish that a little bit. Right? <laughs> Why not start a TPT store? I'm not doing anything else with my time. So are you bored? Do you need extra money? Start a TPT store. <laughs> you might have to embellish that story a little bit, but let's pretend it was a, a sexier story. More, much more exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you sent that to your list, you know, and you could end it with a question like, are you curious about like how you could start your own TPT store reply and let me know or something like that. And if you get like zero replies and zero engagement from after a month of, you know, talking about it on stories and sending a couple emails, it might not be what your audience wants. <laughs> So then, right, I don't want to say it's time to get a new audience because that's Well, I was just thinking you have to make a decision. Do you continue to pursue this and dive in full time of building up an audience Mm -hmm. or do you let it go and hold on to the audience you currently have and the wishes and desires and needs? That's that's, That's where my gut went. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would have a decision to make and especially like, again, hypothetically you, you would have a really big switch to make be like, no, stop asking me about Facebook ads. I'm not doing it anymore. And I mean, yeah, you would have to start appealing to a whole new audience. You would have to get in front of a new audience. So I mean, we'd have to or change the name of this podcast, or you could just pivot it a little bit because market that would still actually work as the title, but you would have to, you know, change all that content and maybe start, you know, trying to guest on people like Casey Morris's or, you know, like other, you know, you'd have to get outside your current audience. Like it's not an easy undertaking. And I feel like that's why a lot of people, especially TPTers, right? Add a course or a membership as another layer of income. Or some TPT people have also created courses on how to make courses like for other teachers. And they've had to also sort of pivot their audience a little bit. But if you know that nobody that I can think of is like totally giving up the one segment of their audience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can't think of anyone who's just been like, I'm not doing this anymore. And now I only do this. Mm -hmm. If you look back in like to my story, I I did that a little bit. When I decided to go into Facebook ads, I jumped in, but I wasn't known in the previous niche for math, like the math teacher piece that I did, my TPT store. I was never really well known. I never, I hadn't really built up an audience. I hadn't done all of that work. And so it wasn't the same as what it would be now if I were to switch out, com- like completely switch out of Facebook ads. It was a much easier jump of like, nobody really knows me. I don't have an audience. Let's jump into this other place where nobody really knows me and I don't have an audience, right? Yeah. Whereas now people know me, I have an audience. To leave would be much more challenging. We're burning down a whole business. Right. That's scary. And like, yeah. And like, why would you, I mean you would just add something else maybe mm-hmm. like if you want exactly. to do Facebook ads and something else, it would just be much easier to More of like add a rather. smooth transition 
Yeah. And like, once you're established in something, I mean, theoretically, still talking theoretically, like you could hire somebody else. If you really don't want to do Facebook ads anymore, you could hire someone to run that side of your business and do something else if you wanted to. Yeah. Once you get to a certain point, that makes sense. Yeah. Theoretically. (laughs) So much theoretical happening at the end of this, but that was, that was really great information about if your heart is pulling you in one direction Uh of how you can go in that way, even if you're not getting any feedback, where you would start to get that feedback, how you could start to guide your audience there with your content, with your emails, and then knowing that there's going to come a point potentially that either you've gotten the feedback and a green light to go ahead with it, or you have to make a decision. Right. Jumping in even more or letting it go and saying, maybe right now is not the right time. While you're talking, I actually just thought of a friend of mine in my mastermind who actually, she started as the mastermind in August as a social media strategist. And people kept asking her because her and her husband paid off like $50,000 of debt in a year. Wow. She like did like one story or one post about it. And people kept asking her because it's a great question. Like, how did you do this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She still has, I think, like maybe one or two social media clients on retainer, but she's kind of totally pivoted. And and she does like debt-free one-on-one calls. She just started a free Facebook group. She's talking about maybe doing like group coaching. And it's just, she listened to what people continued to ask her. Even when she was posting about social media, they'd be like, so no, but I saw your story. (laughs) (laughs) You paid off the money. I don't care about the social media. And she, yeah, she's totally pivoted in the last six months and like doesn't really advertise social media Mm -hmm. anymore. I mean, she wasn't like a huge social media name or anything, but yeah, I mean, she's kind of done a total, a total pivot. I feel like the one big takeaway here is to listen to your audience, what they're asking for, what they, what they're saying their problem is, how you can support them and to really lean into your audience. Yeah. And it's hard, especially if like you really want one thing. And they're asking for another. I mean, you can totally ignore it. But if you feel, I guess, at all called to do the thing that they're asking you for, you should probably look into that because it's what's going to help the most people and probably be more successful for you in the long run. I feel like too, sometimes people can see things that we're passionate about and that we're really good at that because we're good at them, it doesn't even cross our mind. Like your friend that you were just talking about the debt payment, she might not have even seen that as amazing or special or anything or that she could help people. But from the outside, they're like, that's holy, we need to, we need you to talk more about that. Yeah. Right? And then from the inside, you're, you don't even realize, you don't notice it's just your normal. And so right. leaning into that outside perspective can be very powerful if you're not even seeing it yourself. Yeah. It's somewhere where the perfect intersection of what you want to do, what your audience says, and what you're good at Mm. is like what you should do with your business. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. It's been wonderful. Thank you. I know that you have a freebie for the audience. So can you just tell us a little bit about what that is and who should be looking at downloading it? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess going back to my audience segments, I have a course checklist, which takes you all the way from pre-planning stages with market research, the whole way through all of the assets, 
everything you would basically need to create in order to launch a course successfully. So it could be perfect for people who haven't even started creating a course yet, or for people who kind of just want that second checklist, somebody else's eyes kind of on it as as a double check to make sure that you have everything that you need. I love that. And it will be linked in the show notes. So head down there and get that. And then if somebody would like to find you, where's the best place? Yeah, I mostly hang out on Instagram. I'm over at Duxbury Digital. I'm sure that'll also be in this show notes. And my website is DuxburyDigital.co. And you can find out a lot more about me there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Market Scale Grow. I'm so thankful that you've taken some time out of your busy schedule to make me part of your journey. If you love this podcast, don't forget to share it with your friends and then head to your favorite podcast app to subscribe so that you won't miss next week's episode or any of the upcoming ones. And if you loved it, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find this podcast and we can impact teachers and teacher business owners around the world. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back in your ears next week with another Saturday strategy session.